It's truly a joy and a privilege for me to be here and to share God's Word with you. You know, as I was asked, when I was asked to preach, I actually wanted to say no. For multiple reasons. Uh, One of them was the simple question of why? It's not that I'm averse to preaching. I've spent the last decade and a half preaching in many parts of this world as God has given me the privilege to. But the reason I asked that question was, I want to say this as carefully as I can so you don't misunderstand me. If we don't grow in our knowledge of Jesus and seek to know him more today than we did yesterday, he will be less relevant to us tomorrow than he does today. I've been playing in my mind for a long time now, especially after about 15 years of being on the road, so to speak, uh, 2020 brought everything to a grinding halt and, you know, one thing led to another and in 2021 I got here. And for me, being on the road preaching was doing exactly that. Getting to know Jesus more today than I did yesterday. And then suddenly I'm sitting in a space where I'm supposed to be immersing myself and growing in my knowledge of God, and all I'm doing is thinking through what I've been going through in the past. So it's been a difficult space for me to be in. And so when I, well, I normally don't say no to preaching invitations. That is not an invitation to offer invitations. That's just the way I am. Uh, so I, I, I said yes, and the question that stuck with me and which is where I landed on this passage is, are you the one? And the reason why that question stayed with me is because I don't think it's possible to journey the Christian faith without asking that question. Because life has a way of bringing you to a place where you really want to know if you've got hold of the one who has taken hold of you. And that was what John the Baptist was grappling with. Now, there are many ways to look at this passage. There are many ways to kind of unpack what's happening over here. But I think the intensity of what John, the intensity of the question that John raised, you know, the way he brought forth that question to Jesus was so incredibly powerful that this is possibly the only question recorded in the gospel that's repeated verbatim as is twice. John calls his disciples to himself, his friends. He's been hearing a lot of wonderful things that Jesus is doing. He's probably wondering why he's still where he is. And he sends word to Jesus and he asks Jesus, Are you the one or should we look for another? What does his friends do? What does his disciples do? They go to Jesus. They really don't know how to frame this question, so they just repeat it verbatim. That's what happens when you start asking the question, are you the one? Because somehow, words fail you. 
And when you go through a crisis, you're not really looking for answer in the form of information. You're looking for answers in the form of a hand to hold. Are you the one or should we look for another? So I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord this morning, but I do know that you would either be asking the question now or you would have asked the question in the past, but and I guarantee you, if you haven't asked it yet, you will ask. Maybe you'll probably ask it as terms of what's happening over here. Are you the one? Why is this guy still preaching? <laughs> but if you read what Luke was doing in this passage is you, you will see that this, this Luke 7 comes on the heels of Jesus' sermon. Luke puts it as the sermon on the plain for us. He finishes teaching and then he goes about. I mean, Luke begins by saying, after he finished all these sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and then things start happening because this is what John is hearing because if you went to verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things. All what things? Possibly the things that Jesus has been teaching. Possibly the things that he's been doing. He's just healed someone's servant. He did this crazy thing called raising someone from the dead. And all of this has been reported to John. And John possibly grappling with what he is going through. You know, doubt is doubt is what you experience when you, what you know and what you experience don't come together. That's what doubt is. John, John knows these things, but he's in prison. And he's asking, are you the one? It's almost like, you know, a bull in a china shop for that question to be found on John's lips because John had an experience with Jesus which is quite unlike any other. I mean, if you were sitting with John and he was asking, so John, how do you know Jesus? He said, ah, we had a womb-to-womb -womb talk. <laughs> that, that's where I first met Jesus, by the way. In fact, our conversations were so interesting that my mother broke out dancing and his mother, she started writing poems. John, do you know Jesus? Of course I do. But, he, but he, here's where it gets even more incredible. John, he leaps into the scene of history as it were after 400 years of silence and he says, this is what God is saying, repent. And it's this John was asking, are you the one? You know, as Kunal was leading us in the opening song, um, I, I couldn't help but think about how Isaiah writes about those who wait on the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I think it's the most anticlimactic passage ever. 
should not it be walk, run, soar? Why is the order reversed? I mean, I hope we are reading the same Bible. Have you ever wondered why that order was reversed? Why is it that those who wait on the Lord, says Isaiah, would soar and then walk or run and then walk? I think if you pause and think about that long enough, you'll realize that it takes more waiting on the Lord to live through the ordinary than to perform the spectacular. And so here is John. He's had this amazing experiences and the run of mill, as it were, he finds himself in the prison and he's asking, are you the one? Have I wasted my life placing my trust in you? Because that's what's happening in this passage over here. This passage is about the authority of Jesus. You see that Luke is recording for us that he has authority over disease. He has authority over defilement. He has authority over death. He has even authority to forgive sin. He has authority to send people in his name so that others would come to know him and come to him and live. Are you the one? And can I put my trust in you? And so Luke would say to John and to us by extension, yes. Yes, Jesus is the one that you can put your trust in even if you don't think you're worthy of him because that's what the centurion thought. His, his servant was sick. Everybody around him thought he was worthy of Jesus' attention. That's what they go and tell Jesus. Here is a person who's worthy of your attention. Jesus, all right, fine. If you're coming with a recommendation, I'll go and meet him. And he, the centurion, clearly says to Jesus or sends word to Jesus and says, I'm not worthy. If Jesus was to take into account our worthiness and then deal with us, we wouldn't be found here, would we? Yes, he is the one for us because he is for us in spite of us not being worthy of him. Oh, Luke doesn't stop there. Luke builds on it and he goes on to say that, you see, it's not only that Jesus is for us when we think we are not worthy of him, but what about that time when you are so desperate that you don't even know how to voice your desperation? Think about this, this woman. Luke tells us she's a widow. And now she's been orphaned twice because her only son is dead. In that culture and society, she practically could be dead as well. And Luke tells us, as Jesus approaches Nain and this coffin is being taken out, he stops 
and he holds that coffin back. He physically reaches out and touches that. He didn't care about defilement. And Luke says, he had compassion on her. See, inasmuch as Luke wanted to show that Jesus had the power over death, he wanted everybody to also realize that his compassion was, if not greater, as powerful as his power over death. Jesus is for us. He is the one because he's for us even when we do not know how to ask for help. You know, one of the most fascinating things I that has gripped me ever since I've read the, the gospel accounts of Jesus. And I, and I like reading religious texts, and I've read a few of them. You will not find this statement anywhere else. I have come. You will not find that statement anywhere else. Everywhere else you will have instructions as to what to do. I remember having this conversation with a biologist in, in Thailand. Happened to be there for, a, for some meetings, and then we got talking about, amongst other things, about God. And she comes from a Theravada Buddhist background, and she was very, very upset with my suggestion that someone will pay for her problems. She says, that's not fair at all. And I remember trying to grapple with how do I communicate this to her. We were having dinner together, and I had finished my dinner, and uh, so I was playing around with this toothpick in my hand, and uh, the toothpick can take only that much of pressure. It broke, right? So I as it broke in my hand, this, a thought occurred to me, it's clearly from God. So I placed the toothpick on the table and I said to the person sitting across from the table from me, and I said, Dr. Thien, can you fix this toothpick, but don't touch it? Yeah, that's, that's exactly how she felt. Uh, and then she said this, which I've never forgotten since. Brokenness cannot fix itself. The same person who said, I find your, your ideas that somehow God has to pay for you, ridiculous, sits there looking at a broken toothpick and says, brokenness cannot fix itself. So what do you do when you're broken and you don't even know how to ask? Like this widowed mother who's lost her son. Are you the one? Jesus is the one because he is for you even when you don't know how to ask for help. See, that's that's what Jesus said when John's disciples came to Jesus and asked the question, are you the one or should we, should we look for another? 
and Jesus says to John's disciples, go and tell John what you have just observed. Tell John, John, that I am for you. Even if you think you're not worthy of me, John, I am for you, even if you don't know how to ask for help. John, I am for you, even if you wonder if I am the one. That's the most amazing thing about the gospel. See, what Christ does for us is that he draws us to himself. And in drawing us to himself, he reveals us to him, uh, himself to us, placing expectations on us. I remember speaking at another time where I finished speaking, and this person stood up in, in the open forum and asked me a very simple question. He says, give me one good reason why I should follow Jesus. I had no idea where this person was coming from. I had no idea of his background. I simply looked at him and I said, everybody is a follower of somebody. If Jesus is not worth following, then who is? We stayed back and we spoke. He happened to be the CEO of a, a firm in that, in that country that I was speaking at, and he said, this is the first time I actually thought that I am a follower as well, and it's true. And I don't like the people I'm following. He said this, I have made so much money that I can get anything I want, any time I want, any how I want. And I'm beginning to wonder what I really am. Am I nothing more than just a bundle of wantings and havings? Is there anything more to my life? Jesus has demands on our lives, not so that it would add anything to him, but it would give to us everything that he has for us. And so those who wait on the Lord must learn to wait on the Lord longer. Because if we don't know Jesus more today than we did yesterday, we will replace the God who reveals himself to us with a God of our imagination and our expectation, and that God is bound to disappoint. He will become less relevant to us tomorrow than he does today. And that's the problem with the world we have around us today, isn't it? A world where God is becoming increasingly invisible because his people are becoming increasingly complacent.
See, that's the problem of not taking the charge to grow in the knowledge of God seriously. I don't know how many of you have gone rope climbing. I have not. <laughs> but I watched that happen. You can do it with me. <laughs> I, for your height, you don't need a rope. Imagine with me that you were all climbing a cliff on the same rope. Now also imagine that you were the last one climbing. And you look up and you see the one right on top deciding to swing a bit. I hope your grip is good enough to hang on. Because you see, the slight movements up there might not matter up there, but you down here are going to be dashed on the rocks on every side. So the church might think it's okay. I mean, we've, we've been here for 2,000 years, right? What's a little bit of flirting with the truth? What's a little bit of complacency going to do to us? Take a good, hard look at the world. And we will know. That Jesus was very serious when he said, as the Father sent me, so now I send you. And so as we ask the question, are you the one? Let us also remember that the world is asking the question, is he the one? And may we be a people who take what God has given to us seriously enough to show the world that yes, he is the one. And so as we now prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table, let's remember that we are answering the question, the affirmative, yes, you are the one. You are the one for us, even when we don't know how to ask. You are the one for us, even though we don't deserve. We are not worthy of you being the one. You are the one for us, even our deepest, darkest struggles, and most certainly, you are the one for the world. For often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, Paul reminds us that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God bless you as you continue reflecting on his word.